is now on, also coming to you live streaming on Facebook. Fantastic day. It is the unofficial Freedom Day in New South Wales, but the rest of Australia is also either gone past that date or Melbourne heading that date. Johnny, um, firstly, welcome. Welcome. I know you've worked through and you've, you, you, I mean, you adopted uh, Zoom and the way Zoom works uh, from last year, March, April, you know, it became a permanent part of the way you interact with your company. So um, yeah. does it feel different to does today feel different to you at all in any way? Oh look, I think I think there's been a lot of anticipation in New South, and I don't want to talk too much about it because I know the, our poor, very dear friends in Victoria, um, you know, many of your members and many of our team and many others uh, are out there still having to sort of battle with it. But I think that uh, feels good um to be out. But uh, I, I know you're right, Tom. Technology was yeah, this, this is a period when technology surge in usage, I think, has gone up and will stay up. So I do think, yeah, things like virtual auctions will become a parallel. I don't think they'll replace on-site or in-room, but I think they'll be in parallel. And Zoom calls with vendors, Zoom meetings with buyers, all those things, virtual inspections, I think they're here to stay. So, yeah, there is a, there is a silver lining on the top of the cloud. Okay. Now, John, today's topic. Why agents fail and the top reasons why, and when we say fail, don't get me wrong, I mean, a lot of real estate agents keep working in the business. The the definition of failure would be different from one person to another. I mean, if I asked you, John, at what point do you consider, hey, this agent is failing? Is it a number that they're writing in fees or is it a number of properties they're, they're selling? Or is it just your general view that this person is capable of so much more and they're not yeah. realising their potential? So, Tommy, look, I, I always back my own intuition and judgment. And I've often had an agent that hasn't hit the numbers early on and it's taken, you know, six, 12 months to get any form of momentum. But my observation, if their energy and their values and their integrity and their training... Interesting, when people stop turning up to training, normally means for me, if they're not making the numbers and they're not doing something about it, that's the beginning of the end. So I'll back someone a lot longer than most people would probably judge wise if I see them doing the right things because I know a good person implementing the right process over time will get the results. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time, but they will get the results. Okay. Now, John, we're going to go uh, quickly through and just state some of our reasons of why we think agents never, ever get to the epic level that they could. Um, we might get through six or seven of them. Um, yeah. But is there any, you know, is there any obvious ones to you that you say straight away, I know that this thing here is an issue and they need to get out of, they need to sort that out because it's a blocker. Any that come to your mind straight away? Yeah, well, a few of them told me that I think. Firstly, no plan, no process sounds obvious, but the number of people that don't have a plan, don't know their numbers, don't know the market's numbers, um, and don't have a plan to grow their market share is astounding. I mean, as we said, I think last week in, in MDA podcast, you know, you can earn more money in an afternoon in this industry than a surgeon can earn in a month after 30 years training, really. You can go out this afternoon and do two or three great listing presentations, sale negotiations or auctions and earn six figures. So it, it deserves um, to have a plan and a process. So 
I think, and, I, and again, Tommy, I think you said last week that the, tro- the process trumps motivation or words to that effect. You, you, you have to have a plan up front and then you have to stick to a process. And, you know, we know prospect listing sell. It's not a complex industry, but you have to be doing those things on a daily basis and you have to be like Nicole, Nicole, Nicola McDermott, I think, that was the, the high jumper. You've got to be reviewing along the way and working out what's working, what's not. So number one for me would be lack of a plan and lack of a process. And, of course, what comes with lack of process is discipline. Some people give it a go and they say, oh, well, yeah, I've been prospecting for a week and I haven't got any leads. Well, man, tell me when you've been prospecting for six months uh, that you haven't got any leads and then I'll be shocked, uh, but that won't happen. So the first one for me would be that. I'll throw in another one, then you, you, you chime in. The next one would be fear of rejection. This is a rejection that's heavy. So in any industry, Tommy, that's heavy in rejection. We're chasing business. We're chasing buyers. We're chasing deals. Um, we're prospecting. And ultimately, you know, you're going to get a lot of no's before your first yes or before your second yes. So I see a lot of agents, they kind of take them personally as though they're a bad person because they made 30 prospecting calls and everyone said, no, I don't want you to help me. Uh, Or they took 100 people through a property and and all 100 said, no, not for me. That's just the game we're in. It, It is a numbers game. You do need to keep refining your art. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to deal with the inevitable rejection and failure and disappointments that come with it and not only deal with them, but deal with them and then come back to your next call, your next listing, your next auction with with just absolutely zero um, negativity and uh, negative energy attached to it. So that'd be my first two. You've got to have a plan, a process, and you've got to be able to move through rejection um, without it stopping you. What about you? So, John, um, one of them is that um, I think there's only, John, there's only about a dozen things that you hear over and over again that clients will say to you, right? It's not like it's sale of the century where you get stumped with this question. And you think, shit, where did that come from, right? It's like, like there's, there's about 12, there's about 12 things that they say, you know, we're not in a hurry or we can't sell at that because we, oh, there's a good one. We can't sell at that. So this one happened on Saturday doing a Zoom auction, then we got on a three-way phone call with the, with the vendor. And the vendor goes, I can't sell at 1.7, I bought it for 1.5. And there was silence on the phone, right? And, I, you know, that awkward silence. I said, And I said, to, I said to the vendor, I said, I, I want to let you know that when you bought that property, that was called the purchase value. And what we've got today is called market value. And I said, I just need you to understand there's actually no link. And then yeah. I said, for instance, if you bought it for a million, do you think the value that we'd have got today would have been different, right? And I think to myself, there's basic things that you hear all the time that you need to, and I'm not saying be a robot, but I think it's useful to know that if they're going to say this, you need to explain it in a simple way. And as they say, never use a thousand words when 50 will do, right? You've got to explain it. And then, so I think learning the dialogue, the scripts, the language in a way that you don't sound scripted, you sound like yourself, but understand there's only a dozen things that buyers and sellers tell you, learn those, go pro with language. And the second one, John, that I think is that they wing it and they don't use data, right? I saw a real estate agent show me his process on how he sets reserves. And what he does is two days before he sets the reserve, John, he rings up every buyer and says, I'm seeing the owner tomorrow night. 
I'd like to ask you, what do you think the reserve should be? I'd like to put forward your view to them. And I just thought that was incredible because he says, I just go to the vendor and I read out person by person, this is what they've said. They're actually using data. They're not sort of winging it and saying, hey, I reckon... I reckon you should set it at two million, and you know they 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 sit there and they spring from a position of data. No difference to what a you know doc, doctors always work. I think John with data. They'll they'll put an X ray up on the screen and say this is what the data says. And in real estate, we do that with CMAs. So, mm. is there any others that come to your mind? Yeah, I've got two more. Um, but yeah, I talked about process before. Big part of the process prospecting. Um, Failure, failure to have a process and fear of rejection, those two things, which are my first two combined, often mean people just don't prospect. They sit in their office, they wait till Saturday's open, they're hoping that people are going to ring the office, they'll get some handouts from the front desk or the principal, and it just doesn't happen like that. This is now a mega competitive industry, and if you're waiting for people to call in, you've got to be on the front foot going out there. Our top agents, Mike Dowling, five to six million dollars. He's going to do this year off a base of a, of a million a few years ago, and he he would be the best prospector, most consistent prospector, most organised prospector I know. And for the last three years, building from one million to five million plus, he was spending two to three hours every morning from nine till eleven, nine till twelve, some days just prospecting, just calling people in the neighbourhood, letting them know what's happened, checking in if they're thinking of selling, calling past clients. So, and and a lot of people think, oh, I've got to be fancy on the phone. No, you don't. You just need to ring people up and just have a solid dialogue and be an authentic individual and let them know what's happening. So, you know, I think prospecting's really key. It's the key activity if you don't prospect, you don't have people to list. If you don't list, you don't sell. And the last one for me, Tommy, would be I'm a great believer. I mean, you know, you know my background a long time ago was in sport, and I wouldn't say I was the most talented sports person, but I'd say I was the most dedicated trainer, and I would think about my game and I would practice it and I would visualise it and at the, at the uh, practice fields um, several times a week and in the gym and so forth. I was what I call now deliberate practice in the world in, in the world of business. I was very good at deliberate practice. I would work out, you know, where is my weak spot? Is it offense? Is it defense? Is it kicking with the left foot? Is it kicking with the right foot? Um, you know, what are the areas of my game that need work? And I would go out to practice and I would work specifically on those particular traits. And I think there's no doubt a lot of people in this industry, if you're listening to this, you're probably pretty good at, at training and workshopping, but deliberate practice is really thinking hard about what it is you need to get better at and just like absolutely like a, a woodpecker, just going at that, going at that until you get that right. You know, what do you have to be great at? As a real estate agent, to learn a lot of money, you've got to be a great lister. So if you're not nine and a half out of 10 listers, it's got nothing to do with the world. It's got nothing to do with your competition. It's got to do with you not doing the work. So I think deliberate practice is is really critical. So prospecting consistently daily, year in, year out, is going to be a huge key to success. And practicing until you are nine or nine and a half out of 10 rating in every one of the key skills you need to be. Now, John, and before I forget, because I know we'd had another conversation about great people to speak at conferences and that, 
I don't know how my mind slipped Michael Dowling because he has to be the best kept secret. No one, I mean, he hasn't really done a lot of speaking, but this guy's this guy's a gun. And he may have even been him or it was someone else. It was another McGrath person that said to me, you know, Tom, he's, and I think it was Michael, might have been Michael. He said, prospecting has long stretches of suffering and pain and hustling for some minor moments of elation, right? And some people have got the ability to do that, knowing that not every bit of work that you do with prospecting is going to be a high-five conversation, right? So, you know, and, and to me, John, it's become really obvious. There's two kinds of people that prospect. The first type are the ones that when they've got stock on, they forget about everything, and that's the first thing that goes. They don't worry about their pipeline anymore. They just get caught up. I've got campaigns. I've got inspections. I've got opens. I've got vendor reports, and they forget about the pipeline. And then when they sell stuff, they think, oh, I've got no stock, and then all of a sudden, they put this big focus on it, right? So you've got that group, and then you've got another type, which I think you've summed it up earlier on, where you talked about their process. They've got set and forget. My prospecting will happen regardless of whether I'm carrying 10 auctions or no auctions. It's mm -hmm. always happening there. So I think then probably the last thing, John, listen, I'm not saying you've got to be a workaholic and I'm not saying you've got to work till eight o'clock. And I'm not even saying, John, you've got to get up at, at five o'clock. But it appears that all the money in real estate, the big money, and the big careers are built before nine and after five, whichever way that you sort of work out your life. I don't see too many of the REB top 100 agents. I don't see too many of the McGrath top 20 agents when I see them up on the screen as people that are, you know, the nine to five workers. Yeah, I think you're right, Tommy. Look, at least in the formative stage and the earlier stage of your career, you must put in the effort to get momentum. Now, then, sometimes the rest of your career will reward you for that early stage. So I'm like you. I'm not saying you've got to be working 80 hours a week every single week until you retire. I think that makes no sense at all. But I agree with you. I mean, I was always an early starter, and in the early days I was finishing late too. But, you know, even today, you know, I start very early. My first appointments are at 6.37 in the morning, but I want to be home by, before dinner time. So I've kind of changed my strategy around. So, uh, yeah, I think it's really critical. So, that, look, there's some good stuff there. One of the things I said before we came on air, Tommy, was in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. One of my favourite, I forgot who said it, but favourite sayings. All the stuff, whether you listen to MDA, real estate, Jim, Eric, combination of all of the above, Josh Fegan, whoever you decide is your source of truth or your multiple source of truth, it's really more accessible than ever before to get the information you need to go to the next level. But you've got to go out there and you chase it. Then you've got to make it part of your own routine and your own DNA. So, yeah, hopefully today there's a few things there for everyone and then we can uh, we get some feedback. John, last question. Most common thing I've been asked in the last 48 hours is about um, APRA and a few stories that have been running in the press about APRA uh, recommending to, well, saying that the banks are going to have a, uh, 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 a more tightening on the way that they lend money out, which I think essentially agents have been telling me it means potentially a 5% less borrowing capacity for, for certain buyers. Um, do you have a view on, you know, the market, 
uh, APRA, um, how things are going to roll out in the future? Yes. So, look, there's, there's no doubt the government and the Reserve Bank will be looking to try and cool the very, very hot real estate market in most parts of Australia. <clears throat> and they've only got certain levers to pull. They don't want to start pushing interest rates up because I don't think the overall economy will deal with that. Um, but, of course, you know, if they don't do that, what other levers have you got? Well, one of them is loan-to-value ratio, how much you allow people to borrow, those sort of things. So I would have very little doubt that that would be in their sights at the moment. Um, it's not That wouldn't cause the market to crash. That probably wouldn't cause a major correction, but it might just calm a little bit of the current storm down a bit, which is not a bad thing for the market. But as we teach people, Tommy, through through MDA podcasts and, and as you teach them through your gym, you know, this is about the inner market. Don't worry about what APRA is doing. Don't worry about what the guy across the road is doing. Just focus on what's happening right here and right now and what you can control. So, uh, yeah, I, I think there will probably be some mechanism that the government and or the Reserve Bank brings into play to try and calm things down a bit. But that's not a bad thing. That'll just make it sustainable. Okay. To all our listeners, don't forget, there's a great saying in real estate, O-N-D-F-M, October, November, December, February, March. A lot of the money in real estate is all earned in those five months, John. So uh, let's get to work. See you later. See you, Johnny. Thanks. Good to see you. Bye.